Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Something with me. I want you to envision this morning a giant puzzle. Envision a giant puzzle. In fact, it's the biggest puzzle you've ever seen. And its pieces are scattered everywhere, all over your house. Maybe your dog has chewed up a couple pieces. Maybe your child has stuffed them up their nose. Or as I'm learning, stuffing them down their pants. Maybe you've stained some pieces with your coffee in the morning. Uh, Maybe other people have tried to help put the puzzle together um, for you, but uh, the certain pieces that they're putting in obviously don't go in the right place. But slowly you start to put this puzzle piece together in the right spot, and one by one it's coming together nicely. Suddenly you realize you only have one piece left, that final piece, but you can't find it anywhere. You can't find that last piece. As a result, it's hard to tell what the picture is. It's a mystery, in fact. So you search the entire house looking for the last final piece, the last place you could have left it. You check in your dog's mouth. You check in your dog's stuff. You check with your kids and everyone that you've come into contact recently, and yet you still can't find that last piece. This is until you finally see it through the corner of your eye. You see that, uh, that piece, and with a loud voice, you're like, yes! Anyone ever been there before? You're, yes. yes, absolutely. You see it with excitement, you grab it, and you finally put it in its right place on the board, and then you take a step back, and you're able to look and see the finish finished final product. You know, in a way, in a way for a lot of us, this puzzle represents pieces that we have pieced together of who God is and his plan for our lives. For some of you in the room, you're still wrestling with this, trying to put these pieces together to figure out maybe who you are, what your purpose in in life is, what life is all about. And in biblical times, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae about the same issues concerning God. What was the reason behind everything? Who was God in his fullest? And Paul was telling the people to stop complicating things. In fact, that Christ is the final puzzle piece that makes everything come together. That through Jesus, we can finally step back and see the final picture of God's plan for our lives and the meaning behind, well, everything. And in one of Paul's letters, he writes to the church. And so if you want to open your Bibles or your Bible apps, if you're taking notes, we're in Colossians 1, 25 to 28. 
But Paul writes this. He says, I became a servant of of the church when God gave me the work of telling you his entire message. In the past, God hid this mystery, but now he has revealed it to his people. God wanted his people throughout the world to know the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ living in you, giving you the hope of glory. So we spread the message about Christ as we instruct and teach everyone with all the wisdom there is. We want to present everyone as mature Christian people. So what is this mystery that Paul is talking about? Well, first of all, it's the mystery of God's plan for you and I. When God created humanity, the Bible says that he created us in his image. We weren't a mistake. We weren't created by random chance or a series of progressive events. But instead, instead specifically by him and for him. We were created to be in this perfect relationship with him for eternity. But one day... Humanity turned their backs on God. You see, they wanted to be their own God, to be equal with God. And God loves us so much that he actually gives us this thing called free will so that we could choose to love him back or do our own thing. But the thing about free will is, although we may get to make our own decisions in this life, we don't get to determine the consequences of those decisions. Those of you who are parents, those of you who are kids, totally understand that. You made a choice, and then maybe you got a spanking, maybe you got a timeout room, right? Uh, you got your... Anyone get their... their they had to put their, themselves in the corner and look at the wall, right? Yeah. Anyone... I'm not going to ask for spankings. We might get in trouble. But. but we don't get to choose the consequences of our choices. And so the result of that choice entailed that men and God had to be separated because sin had entered the world. It's like oil and water. It just doesn't go. It doesn't match. It can't be together. And the same is with God and sin. It just doesn't work. So man was separated from God, but that's when the mystery of God's plan began to be revealed. And it's, it's starting with significant pieces of a puzzle that God began to put this puzzle together by using men and women to bring people closer to God. He then specifically chooses Israel as a demonstration of what it looks like to be chosen, loved, and protected. But it was never intended to be exclusive, just God and Israel. Because it was actually prophesied in Isaiah 49, 6, that one day God will make Israel a light to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. And he will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. But how? How can you do that when... Clearly, these people do not like each other. Jews and Gentiles 
we're not okay with each other, especially in this time in, in Colossae. At this point in history, you had one was ruling over the other. They didn't like each other. It was actually, you could say that it was, it was worse than sli- uh, sibling rivalry. I bet if I could ask everyone in this room, do you have any permanent scars from a sibling? I bet there would be a lot of you that would be like, yes, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It still hurts, right? I see it every day. Well, they were worse than this. They were worse than sibling rivalry. They hated each other. You know, it actually reminds me of uh, an interesting story. It was about a bishop by the name of John Green who lived in, in Sydney, Australia, and he used to work with this group of boys. Uh, one, of the, uh, one group of the boys were of Aboriginal blood, and the others were of English descent. And he always talked about how there was so much racial tension between the two groups wherever they went. And one day he's uh, on this bus with the, the students, and uh, they start fighting with each other. And he gets so fed up and he gets so furious with these students that he slams on the brakes in the bus. He pulls off to the side and he orders that every kid get out. As all the kids are worried and and nervous, they get outside and they line up against the bus. And he looks at them and he says, you are no longer black and white. You are green. And he makes them go in different orders so that they're mixing amongst each other. And he makes each one of them, before they get on the bus, say, I am green. I am green. I am green. One kid after the next. Well, what ends up happening is they get onto the bus and and there's peace for the first time ever as all these green people sit together. And... They start riding in the bus, and there's just peace. And the bishop's thinking, I've really done this. I'm good. I figured it out. Suddenly, one kid in the back yells, okay, everyone who's light green to the left, dark green to the right. (laughs) This is a picture of what it was like between the Jews and Gentiles. But to be honest, if you and I could be very honest today, we actually see this tension today in our society. There's this tendency for people to to separate one another. Instead of celebrating our differences, which is actually something that's very sacred to God. Like, think about that. God created you in His image. So the color you are is what God designed for you. It's something that's sacred. That cultural background is something that is sacred because God designed you to be specifically there. And instead of celebrating these, we assume that these differences are flawed or somehow less than another. And so we have this natural bent towards exclusivity rather than being inclusive. And that's what it looked like for the Jews and Gentiles of that day. 
the ways of life became exclusive in their practices, in their beliefs, in their day-to-day routine. They separated from one another. And it was a mystery to everyone how this prophecy would come together with all this racial tension, with all this frustration amongst each other, amongst opinions and beliefs and how you looked. That was until Christ showed up. It was Jesus who broke down the wall of hostility that separated them, and he actually created a new people. You and I would know them as the church. You and I would know them as Christians. And this is a product of what Jesus did. Trusting Christ changed everything for the Jews and the Gentiles. Ephesians 3, 6 actually says that this was God's plan right from the beginning. Both Jews and Gentiles who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited of God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because we belong to Christ Jesus. In other words, God's plan all along was that through Jesus, all would experience salvation. All would be reconciled to God and have a personal relationship with Him. And that the church, His chosen people, would be an example of what it means to be equal. A beacon of hope for helping people find their way back to God through the way they lived, the way they loved, and the way they treated each other. And that was the mystery of God's plan revealed through Christ. Colossians 1.26 says that in the past God hid this mystery, but now he has revealed it to his people. Did you know, interesting fact, did you know that Christianity was the first religion that was pan-tribal. I know some of you are listening to that, and you're like, I have no clue what you're saying, but it sounds neat. Good for Christians, right? (laughs) This means that it was the first faith tradition that actually opened its doors and welcomed everyone who would believe in Jesus. It didn't matter the race. It didn't matter the social status, the class, the tribe, the native tongue, where you came from. You belonged and you were welcome. That's what the early church looked like. Like, can you imagine what that looks like? Where you would see um, uh, a slave and a slave owner sitting side by side in church as equal and treating each other as we equal. And the Bible in Acts actually says that no one was needing anything because everyone was providing for everyone. So it didn't matter where you were in your class, you treated each other with love and with equality. They celebrated each other's equality and they they celebrated each other's differences. That was the early church. This is actually one thing I love about our church, Portico. Like, literally, just take one second... Look around right now. Look at all the cultures represented. Look at all the countries represented. Did you know that Portico has over 84 nations represented in our church? 
We celebrate differences. Just like the old, the church in, in, in the book of Acts. We've stuck to what God's plan was all along. And I just want to say that if you're new today, if this is a first time coming out or you're new to church, I want you to know you're welcome. You don't need to feel awkward or like you're kind of out of place. You're not. If I'm allowed here, you're definitely allowed here, okay? You're welcome here. But get this, church is not a country club. We don't have a dress code. We're not all about secrets, special handshakes, hidden messages, judging others, or being exclusive. We're here because we love God, we love people, and we want others to experience the same thing. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. But we're trying to live a life that honors Jesus' sacrifice, which leads to the next one, the mystery of Christ's death. The common question that I get asked all the time is why does the Christian church get so ramped up over the death of a guy who lived thousands of years ago? And maybe for some of you in the room, this is still a mystery for you. We do all these, you know, why do we, why do we meet? Why do we get together on Easter? Why, why do these people get together in, in homes and, and, and get together so frequently on a regular basis? Why Sunday? Why, why do my parents make me come to church, right? What's so special about this building? What's so special about this person named Jesus, and it actually reminds me of a very interesting story about the love of a father. It goes like this. One day, a church, at church, an elderly man stepped into the pulpit to speak. And he began to tell a story about a father, his son, and a friend of his son, who were sailing off the Pacific coast when a fast-approaching storm blocked any chance for them to get to shore. The waves were so high that even though the father was an experienced sailor, he could not keep the boat upright. And then the three were swept into the ocean. The old man hesitated for a moment as he, as he wiped the tears from his eyes and he made contact with two teenagers who were for the first time since the beginning of the service were somewhat interested in the story. He continued by sharing that the father, grabbing a rescue line, had to make the most excruciating decision in his life, to which boy he would throw the other end of the line to. He only had seconds to make the decision. The father knew that his son was a Christian. He also knew that his son's friend was not. The agony of his decision could not be matched by the torrent of the waves. As the father yelled out, I love you, son, he threw the line to his son's friend. And by the time he pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, his son has disappeared beyond the raging swells into the black of night. By this time, the two teenagers that were listening intently to the man were straighter up in their pew, waiting for the next words to come out of the old man's mouth. The father he continued. He knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus, and he could not bear the thought of his son's friends stepping 
into eternity without Jesus. Therefore, he sacrificed his own son. The old man finished by saying, how great is the love of God that he should do the same for us. With that, the old man turned and and sat back down in his chair and silence filled the room. Within minutes after the service had ended, the two teenagers were at the old man's side. They went up to him and said, that was a nice story, but I don't think it was very realistic for a father to give up his son's life in hopes that the other boy would become a Christian. Well, you've got a point, the old man said, as he glanced over at his worn-out Bible. But then a big smile came upon his face, and once again he looked at the boys and he said, it sure isn't very realistic, is it? But I'm standing here to tell you that that story gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his son for me. You see, I was that son's friend. Colossians 1.20 says that through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You see, because of, God's, uh, because of sin, there was this eternal divide between God and evil, or uh, God and us, sorry. And evil had to be punished. And it was a debt that we could not pay. And so God sent his only son, Jesus, to take our place, giving his life for you and I on the cross. I want you to catch this part. If there's one thing you catch, it's this. Is there is no greater display of love than what Jesus did on the cross for you. I could do incredible things. I, I could do all the right things to show my, my wife or my, my, my son or my family or my friends. I could be this incredible man and show all this love, but none of it compares to the display of love that Christ did on the cross for you and I. It was because of his desire to reconcile all humanity back to himself. Just like in the old man's story, we now can have a relationship with God for eternity. And not just any relationship, but a close relationship. Not where God is far off, but where it's a personal relationship. So much so that Colossians 1.27 says, God wanted his people through the word or through the, uh, throughout the world to know the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ living in you. The mystery of Christ's death is that Christ would live in our hearts and in the hearts of everyone who would believe in him, giving us an intimate companionship and a continual interaction with him. And as a result of him living in our hearts, us having this relationship, we now have this hope of glory, as the Bible would say, or this hope in the future. 
that one day after this life, we will be reunited with him in heaven. And so you might be here if you're, if you're skeptic or if you're, if, if you're asking some questions here, you might say, but how is it possible? How is it possible to have hope in death? Well, it's only when you have seen death overcome that you can have this hope. And this is where we clearly see the mystery of hope that's in Christians. We're not here today because we're mourning a loss. We're not here today because we're, we're actually, sorry, here because we're celebrating a victory. We're not here because of loss. We're celebrating a victory today. When Jesus overcame death by rising from the dead, revealing himself and his scars to the masses as proof of his resurrection before he went up to heaven. That's why we're here. Most importantly, we are here because he overcame so that you could overcome. There are a lot of things in our lives that we need to overcome. And he overcame so that you could find the strength through him to overcome. And so we're here today to celebrate this. And as a result, now we have this new hope because death is no longer our final destination. What evil meant as our final resting place because of sin is now through Christ's resurrection, the starting point to a new humanity that will last forever. I love what C.S. Lewis once said. He said, this is what, this is what mortals misunderstand. They say of temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that in heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even agony into a glory. What C.S. Lewis is reminding us is that there are a lot of us in the room that have been dealt a difficult hand. Most of you here if you haven't um, had cancer, you know someone who has cancer or is in that battle right now. Maybe it's things like MS. You've been dealt a, a, a really tough hand with, with um, sickness, with loss, with heartache, with suffering, and, and you're trying to figure out what is going on. And we're made to believe that this is actually it. That after this suffering, it's just done. I'll have these, these, these moments of suffering and then life is over. I don't really know what happens after that. We're made to believe that that is what is true that this is as good as it gets, so in this life, we have to do whatever we can to do our best because this is it. But it's not true. You see, because we have hope, we have hope that because of Christ's death and resurrection, we will one day be with him in heaven where he will, as the Bible says, he will wipe away the tears of our eyes. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow, 
no more sickness, and no more death. And you are invited to be a part of that. A part of that eternal joy. This was God's plan all along. And this is the reason that we have hope. This is the reason that I have hope. This is the reason that we should live in such a way that people see the difference because they see hope in you. When all is lost, they see hope. Colossians 1.28 says, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom what God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. So this doesn't mean, for those of you who are in the room, that we'll be morally or ethically perfect or even flawless in our, our behavior. I know. I know I have issues, and that's okay. But as we continue to put our trust in Christ, we will begin to have a mature relationship with God, wholeheartedly striving to do His will eagerly with hope, anticipating what lies ahead in this future glory. This Easter, we are reminded that the mystery of God and the whole picture behind humanity is that this world matters to God. The cross and the resurrection shows us that this world matters to God, and more importantly, that you matter to God. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus shed light on the fact that there's a God who absolutely loves you and loves your neighbor who doesn't know him yet. He doesn't tolerate evil. He's not okay with violence. He's not okay with your suffering. He's not okay with injustice or devastation as some might think he is. He actually takes it so serious that the Bible says that he was willing to put on all of that on himself by dying on the cross, not just for our mistakes, but for our sin. And he was willing to deal with it personally. And we're here today because he was victorious in doing so. And now he wants to use the church, a.k.a. you and I, to implement this good news, this message of hope that love has won and is relevant to everyone. And it's relevant to you. If Jesus hadn't risen, then this message would not be good news to you. It wouldn't be good news to us. It wouldn't be good news to anyone. We would be meeting for no reason, no point at all. But because of the fact that Jesus has actually risen from the dead and has ascended to heaven, we now have this hope because this good news is in fact good news for all of us. And it's good news for your unsaved neighbor. It's good news for that person that is in temporal suffering right now and heartache. It's good news for those who are hopeless and helpless and needing something in their life that will make sense. And Jesus is the answer. 
Jesus is that void. He's that thing that will fill the void in your life. You've got questions. He's got answers. You need hope. He's got hope. You need strength. He's got strength. You need faith. He's got it. What you need, he has. And so this Easter we celebrate because we have a God who is able to provide incredible things for us. This is his perfect plan for humanity. And this is your calling with the world waiting for you to respond and show them what Easter is all about. Showing the love that Jesus gave to each one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you for sending your Son. Sending your Son to die for us, for our mistakes, for our sin. Father, thank you for this day as we just celebrate not only being a church of people from all over the world coming together in one place, but the fact that, God, you've got this incredible plan and you've revealed it through your son, Jesus. And now that we know the truth, Father, I pray that we would run, wholeheartedly run and share this good news. With every eye closed and and head bowed, no one looking around, I want to ask a question to everyone in the room. Maybe this message has been something new for you. Maybe it's intrigued you. Maybe you've been a skeptic or you just don't know the message of, of, of Christ. And you're wanting a fresh start. Life has bogged you down. There's things that are in your head and your heart that you can't get rid of. You're frustrated. You're hurt. Maybe you're angry at people. Maybe it's even been people in the church. But you're wanting a fresh start today. In, in the Bible, it talks about those. If, if you would uh, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. You'll go to heaven. And so I want to ask, is there anyone in the room with no one looking? If that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus, you want him in your heart and in your life. If that's you, why don't you go ahead? No one's looking, but raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, 
pray that you would do something fresh and new in our hearts. Lord, as these people have made a commitment to follow you for the rest of their days, Lord, I pray that you would, you would put in their hearts so much joy, so much hope, so much love, that they would never wander, that they would never fear because they know that you're with them now. God, I pray for anyone here who is, is wrestling with any frustration or anger or hurt. God, I pray that they would find freedom today, that as they leave this place, Lord, that that baggage that has weighed them down, Father, that they would find relief. Lord, I pray for any ailments today, God, that if there is anyone here who is struggling, Lord, you are not only God the Father, you are not only the Creator, but your healer as well. And so I pray that, that if there's any needs of, of healing, Father, that you would touch those, those um, needs right now. And God, that this Easter would be a reminder not only of the death and resurrection, but of the healing power that happened as a result of what you've done on this day. God, for all of us who need a fresh start. For all of us who need a fresh start. We know that all we have to do is just ask for forgiveness. And you forgive. And we have a fresh start. So forgive us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.